Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to my friends listening elsewhere across the country, or dare I say it, across the world. Welcome to Datitude, episode number three for a Tuesday, September the 28th, 2021. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the New Orleans Advocate, the Times-Picayune, and bet.nola.com. It's going to be a great show today. We have Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN, coming up in about 10 minutes. And then Trip will be followed by David Grubb of 103.7 The Game and the Bird's Nest Podcast. David talked with us yesterday. I do my recordings here on, most of them I do them on Mondays. We'll try to do some on Tuesdays. Eventually I want to get live, but uh, we're not ready for that yet. Just episode number three. David's going to talk about uh, the Saints, his take on Jameis Winston. We had uh, an interesting conversation about that I think we think a little bit differently but maybe not as differently as I thought going in and uh, also David is an expert on the Pelicans and we'll talk about that as they begin training camp they also will play their first preseason game next Monday against the Minnesota Timberwolves we will also recap a few of my NFL picks some I did great on some not so great in the four for four segment and we'll have a new Let's get personal segment, where I let you know a little bit about myself through some of my moments over the past week, or weekend in this case. Yeah, it was an interesting weekend. And we're going to have to skip the mumbo-gumbo segment this week because we have such a jam-packed podcast, mumbo-gumbo, where we talk about all the social media love that I get. All that's coming up in the next hour or so. You can reach me at jderryattheadvocate.com and on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr., uh, and I want to, you know, make, make everybody know, let everybody know that if you want to be a part of this show, if you want a question, if you want to submit a question or you have a comment, you can email me again at jderry at theadvocate.com or DM me or uh, just tweet at me at Jim Derry Jr. I'll be glad to get anything uh, you want to talk about on the show. I'll tell you who my guests are for next Friday coming up. Uh, and you could submit those uh, preferably by Thursday mornings as I do most of my interviews the day before. Uh, and then I record the podcast on the morning of the day. You can listen to this podcast, as many of you are, in multiple places all over on bet.nola.com, on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. And make sure you subscribe so you can know when our newest and latest podcast is I want to give a shout out to Caesar Sportsbook, who is an exclusive partner with us at The Advocate, The Times Picayune, and bet.nola.com. We're going to have some exciting things announced in the coming weeks. You'll definitely want to check back with us on that. And then videos on bet.nola.com, odds and ends on Mondays with Zach and myself, Zach Ewing, the sports betting director at bet.nola.com. The Fantasy Roundup with Zach and Spencer, the guru Urquhart on Wednesdays. And at the book on Thursdays, featuring the cashing in with Carville segment. Man, James Carville. Barking like a dog and getting them right. Zach, the hot Devin Jackson. And when I say hot, I mean he knows how to pick them. He is well above 500. And he is making those big bucks, those big advocate bucks look good. Me, not so much. Even though I had a good week in my picks column, 
I think I picked most of the wrong ones, and my uh, my big bucks are dwindling. We're going to talk about that on Thursday. But let's get to the show before we get to the guest. Did you see the game last night? Domination by the Dallas Cowboys, 41-21 over Philadelphia. Wasn't that close. I don't want to brag, but I did tell you before the season, Dallas was one of my near locks to go over their projected win total of nine. They're just seven away from that in week three, and they still have five more games against the NFC least. Oh, my goodness. I also want to give a shout-out to Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens. 66 yards. All right, so I'm friends with the Dempsey family, okay? So I've already lost that, um, you know, that, the hatred I get. Not hatred isn't the right word. That's a little bit too strong. But, you know, when someone, when that record was broken, I think it was Matt Prater who broke the 63-yarder hit the 64-yarder. I'm like, well, it's over now. I don't care if somebody kicks the 78-yarder. And Justin Tucker kicked the 66-yarder. I told a friend of mine the other night, I said, uh, I told him about it. I said, you see? He goes, no, no, I was busy today, blah, blah, blah. He says, would it have been good from 70? I said, no, it wouldn't have been good from 66.1. 66 yards, hits the crossbar, and bounces into the net. Did you see the reaction of the Lions fans in the background? See, I had to pause it and, like, and slow-mo slow go through it. We're going to talk more about the Justin Tucker kick coming up in the Let's Get Personal segment because it's it's definitely a piece of what happened. There. I mean, I, I, part of my home life and living in a house with with three females, um, they don't get it. Well, maybe it's me that doesn't get it. I don't know. But uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But the, the reaction of those Lions, poor Lions fans, I've been there before. You know, I was a kid. I lived through Big Ben. I don't know if. You know, how many of you are over the age of, I mean, really, if you're not over the age of 50 by now, I guess you probably don't remember it. I think it was 1978, Atlanta Falcons, Big Ben pass. I believe it was Steve Bartkowski to Alfred Jackson. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Saints had the game won. They threw a Hail Mary, beat the Saints. It was pretty typical back then. The Saints didn't, the Saints had yet to have a winning season in 1978. In fact, they, it would be, what, another seven years before they'd have their first winning season? Ugh, the good old days. But, uh, yeah, let's move on and not dwell on the past. It's a, it's a great day still for Saints fans. I know it's Tuesday, and you might be listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, but when the Saints play like they played on Sunday, you are still pumped up, and you can't wait for the next game. And this next game isn't any old next game. It's, I don't care what the, what the schedule says. It's the home opener. It's the dome opener, the Caesars Superdome opener. The first game ever as the Caesars Superdome. The first game in nearly two years since the dome will be packed with fans. And it is going to be a rockin' against the New York Giants. The 0-3 New York Giants who, poor New York Giants, they also lost on a Game-losing field goal, I guess, for them. Young Way Koo with the big field goal. The Atlanta Falcons are no longer winless. Let's get to our first guest. We're going to talk more about the NFL in our 4 for 4 segment coming up after we talk to Mike Triplett. But uh, Mike Triplett, a good friend of mine, as we'll hear in just a moment. I've uh, known Mike for quite a while. We're both Cubs fans, so we can both revel and um, just dwell in our how bad this season has been. But we got our one, right? 2016, seems like forever ago. It was 2021. 
2016. It's 2021 now. Five years ago, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. I still hear Joe Buck saying it in my head. But those days are long gone. Those players are long gone. There's hardly anyone left. David Ross, who was on that team, is now the Cubs manager. It was five years ago, and it might as well have been 25. But we got our one. But Tripp and I are, uh, you know, you don't want to hear about our fantasy teams, although some of you might. But uh, fantasy baseball league that we've had, it's, it's, it started out as, a, as, as pe- members of the media, and it's kind of digress isn't the right word, but it, it's, 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 it's been altered. Um, there are people that aren't in the media, friends of ours, as people move on and um, don't play anymore. And uh, there's still, I think, five or six of us from the media, and there's about four that, who aren't. So uh, Tripleton and Doug Mouton from Channel 4 is in it. Uh, Mike Perlstein also works at Channel 4. Jeff Duncan's still in it. Uh, he's been in it for almost 20 years. And uh, I'm going for title number six. And I wish I was as good in fantasy football as I am in fantasy baseball. I just can't quite get it. I'm getting there, and I'm off to a 3 and start in my main league that's been around for 30 years. But uh, it's a fight in fantasy football every year. But we don't, we don't dwell. We don't talk a lot about it. But I, I, talk, I, I mention it as I intro my friend Mike Triplett because he's right on my coattails and has been for a little over a month, so this season can't end soon enough. Well, you know, i got to d- dig on him a little bit, right? So uh, we are going to – but we're going to spend all but about 1% of our interview talking about the Saints. So let's get into it. Mike Triplett of ESPN on the Dat line. We go back to the Dat guest line, and we have a special guest on here, uh, Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN. And, uh, you know, Mike and I have been colleagues and – friends for quite a while but i don't think we're friends this week are we buddy we would be friends if uh i was the one leading our fantasy playoffs by three points instead of the other way around um yeah so we're, we're gonna just talk about we're gonna do be all business this week we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> talk about anything else um mike and i are both uh avid cubs fans so it's been a rough year for baseball for us except they're our fantasy leagues. But nobody wants to hear about our fantasy leagues. They want to hear about the New Orleans Saints. And uh, first, give me your, your takeaways from what you saw yesterday. Well, I sure hope you didn't bring me on here for any expertise about the Saints because I've been covering them since 2005, and I've never known less about them. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've picked all three games wrong this year, and I've picked them all wrong by, like, at least 20 points. Um, but I will say this. If you go back to what I expected heading into the season, this is about what I expected. I think I thought they would still make the playoffs despite the injuries, the suspensions, the missing players this offseason. Because I don't think enough people, I think a lot of people are being like, Breeze is gone, Michael Thomas is gone, and, and looking at the stars and, and not realizing, no, this is still a really good defense. This is still a really good offensive line, it's still a really good coach and coaching staff, still a really good run game the things that people don't pay as much attention to. And, and those are all the things that have come through in their two wins so far. So this is not a perfect team. This is a paper thin team that keeps having injuries now to Ron Armstead, but they do still do a lot of things really well. And they were able to display those in, in two really impressive road wins at green Bay and New England. My favorite name in the NFL, Throckmorton. I mean, this guy <laughs> comes in and plays and look, 
the the what this makeshift offensive line did with McCoy and Armstead out, I think was really obviously the defense played fantastic and Jameis did just enough to win. Camaro was outstanding as usual. You you wrote about Taysom Hill and he was great and late in the game, but to me. The unsung hero of this game is the offensive line and how well they played without two of their stars. Yeah, it's pretty stunning, Jim, because that, that was true in week one um, when they went and just completely mauled Green Bay and set the tone in that game, even though Eric McCoy left during the opening series. Uh, I just don't know what happened in week two. I mean, they got caught with their pants down in week two. It was, it was crazy. Uh, I credit the Panthers for recognizing that they were down to their third string, you know, signal caller because Drew Brees used to call them out and, and, and then Eric McCoy called him out. And, and I think Carolina really exploited that. So the Saints, the Saints figured that out and came up with a better plan. But uh, but yeah, this is now two out of three weeks where you're right, where they're down two really good players and Eric McCoy and Teron Armstead and they pick up the slack. That is really impressive. Let me ask you, you, you have been on the, the traveling roller coaster. I mean, Dallas going, I guess you don't get home to New Orleans much the last month since Ida going up. I mean, do you think that this team, it's almost if you're like a teacher and you throw out the lowest test score and you think about what happened to Carolina, almost all the emotion that they put into the Green Bay game, obviously people didn't give them a lot of chance to win. Um, Didn't think they would play well against Aaron Rodgers. They completely shut them down. They play maybe the best game overall game in the Sean Payton area era except maybe the Tampa Bay game last year at Tampa do you do you think that just all the emotion was sapped and then the coaches being gone because of COVID just a strange week how was it like for you how has it been like for you traveling back and forth all over the place yeah a lot of flights uh and look you could tell the players were ready to get home that was that was that was my inclination to the times I've been able to get home throughout all this uh, valuing the, the, you know, the nights to getting to sleep in my own bed and be with my family and catch up on a to-do list and hire the person to fix the fence. And I'm sure the players are all going through that, the coaches and everything. Um, but at the same time, Sean Payton has said this time and time again, he sees some value in those times when they're like, you can't, you're not even allowed to worry about any of that stuff. You're locked in this hotel room. Uh, when they were in Seattle a couple of years ago, he relished it after they had an ugly loss at the Rams and Drew Brees tore ligaments in his thumb and the, they were all staying in a hotel in, you know, north of Seattle together. He kind of likes that. And, and, and so there's pluses and minuses to that. The problem is that can't go on all season. <laughs> that, you yeah. know, that had to end. And, and so it's a good thing it has ended now they did such a good job of responding of of channeling it the right way i think it's gonna be great to be home this is a perfect week to come home against the giants that dome is going to be incredible uh they're two weeks away from their bye i think they'll have time to settle in um so i think that that all worked out the best way it possibly could have and i would have said this forget hurricane ida heading you know in mid-august by the time we knew about you know, Onyemata's suspension and Michael Thomas's injury and a couple other injuries, uh, Will Lutz's injury. Uh, I think everybody looked at the same schedule and agreed, if this team can somehow just stay afloat at three and three before they get a lot of their key players back, they could be really, you know, really good this year. Uh, and it sure looks like they're on track to do that. Three and three would almost be a disappointment at this point. Yeah, and... If you look at it as if you compare it to the last few years, maybe 
this is certainly an easier schedule than the Saints have had the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's still a number one schedule. Uh, there, there is no easy schedule, but as far right, as the Saints but, go, because they used to play in a number you know, one schedule. Yeah, you got to play at Seattle. That's a game they probably would like to avoid that trip, especially since it's a Monday night game. They'll be getting home at like Tuesday afternoon from that uh, before before they play Tampa. Is that right? But that'll be a tough that, stretch. But you're right. right. Overall, overall, there there weren't you know there weren't back to back to back road games. There weren't you know cold games that they can't win in the you know wintry weather. They're you know. Uh, that 17th game at Tennessee, you know, they just won at Tennessee last year. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't – this schedule won't be the reason they win or lose. And, and, hey, at Green Bay and not at Green Bay versus Green Bay and Jacksonville and at New England should have been two of the toughest ones on the entire schedule, and they handled those very well. Well, let's get in. We have a question, but it, before I before I ask the question from a friend of mine, John Samarco, I, I want to – it's going to lead into this because I want to get your take on Jameis Winston and – I, I kind of know it because I, I read what you wrote, but Jameis has done, except for the game where everyone played so horribly, and it's been well documented. I've talked about it. I'm not going to rehash what happened against Carolina. But to me yesterday, he was inconsistent at best. Um, his numbers were okay, but it, it just scares me. And it, there's no question he's the best quarterback on this. And in my mind, there's no question he's the best quarterback on this roster. So there's, it's not like there's anything you can do about it. But do you think, and the question is, do you think Winston is the future for the Saints? Do you think with all the offseason problems, do you think his productions will be genuine when he comes back is the question there? So I'll well, let you answer I think that. There's a, I think there's a two-part question. I mean, the long-term future, TBD. But I, I do think if you looked at him almost like a draft pick this year, he, is so, he has so much talent. And it comes down to what can you, how, how well can you coach and manage him? What can you teach him? What can you eliminate from past mistakes? I think if he had been in this year's draft class, he's, you know, he's definitely a first round pick. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have him than Jordan Love, uh, you know, for example. I don't know if I'd rather have him than Trey Lance, but, you know, somewhere in that experimental draft pick with a lot of talent, what can you do with him? That's, that's who he is. Still an unknown, but I think he's, He's in the situation where we're going to find out. If it doesn't work here with Sean Payton and everything Jameis Winston has put into meeting with different people, uh, coaches and trainers and, and studying his tape and having the right mindset and getting in better shape and getting LASIK, uh, you know, he's, we're going to find out if he can, if he can be a successful NFL quarterback because he's, he's, he's done everything you would hope he would do to find out. Um, but as far as how they're managing his pluses and minuses this season, I mean, I think the formula is pretty obvious. They don't want him being the reason they win or lose games. They, he, he has almost the exact same numbers in every game. It's like, it's a, you know, 14 of 21, 13 of 20, uh, 11 of 22, 148 yards is the most he's thrown for in a game. Don't turn the ball over. Get us some key first downs. If you see that 55-yard touchdown pass to Deontay Harris that you can throw, take that shot, but don't play yellow ball. And, and that's great when you have a good defense and you have a good run game and, and you don't want him to lose games for you. They want to make sure he doesn't do that. He hasn't done that yet. I do actually think he could also potentially bring you back if you're down by 10 or 14 points in the fourth quarter with some home runs and Maybe win one of those games. What I don't know yet is, will he lose the game for them? We haven't, 
say what you will about Drew Brees when he wasn't quite vintage Drew Brees toward the end. He wasn't going out there and losing games for you. Um, and, and we haven't seen Jameis Winston do that yet. I don't know if they can go all season without that ever happening, but I think it's possible that they can. Do you think that they will eventually open up the playbook a little bit more for him? Because to me, those numbers aren't going to win big games when you get down in November and December. So it is early. And I understand he's trying to learn the system, and I get all that. But, I mean, at some point to me, you can't have – it's all – he plays at times in these first three games. He plays at times like he's trying to make a mistake. And to me, a quarterback like Jameis Winston, now he, he needs to be let loose a little bit. I know we're scared of the, the 30 interceptions that he threw two years ago. But it, to, to me, if you keep this game plan, first of all, Alvin Kamara is going to get killed because he can't touch yeah, the ball 27 right. times a game. That's not going to work. Um, so right. either you need to come up with a game plan to get Taysom more involved or you need to let Jameis open it up a little bit and not don't worry about it if you make a mistake. Yeah, look, and I think they will. I, these are three of the more unusual game scripts that you'll see. Um, they 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 were putting the Packers game to bed midway through the second quarter. Um, no so it was the right it was the right game plan in that game. At Carolina, they couldn't do anything i mean maybe they were gonna let Jameis, you know throw all over the field but he didn't have two seconds to throw so unusual like you said maybe throw out the low test score uh and then this was another one where it boy it felt like they had it they certainly had the game in hand by the first play of the third quarter when malcolm jenkins returned that interception um for a touchdown so you the, the, we have not yet seen the game where you're like they should have let Jameis winston do more we will see a lot of games where they should have. I mean, there is eventually going to be a game that's like 27 to 24, I promise you. I don't know when it's yeah, going to happen, right. but there'll be a lot of them. Well, I really like – I will say this about Jameis. I, I do like the way that he's approached everything. I I like the way he talks after the game. I like his uh, – just his demeanor during the game is, is good. Um, I, I like that he go went over yesterday and – gave Mac Jones a, a pat on the leg and, you know, he's been there. So I do like what I see. Um, with that being said, you know, what you wrote about Taysom Hill today, I thought was interesting. You know, you talk about a guy who really probably in his mind in the off season, he really probably thought he was going to be the starting quarterback. And when he lost it, he could have sank his head and say, okay, I don't know. You know, I could have gone somewhere else and had a chance, but he, he stuck with everything. And uh, he was a big factor yesterday. And I think going forward will be an even bigger factor. No, I completely agree. And, and I think you nailed it when you said they can't get Alvin Kamara killed. I mean, look, Kamara, Kamara is every bit as talented as Christian McCaffrey, I think. I think he could put up Christian McCaffrey numbers. But the Saints have made it clear they don't want to do that. Um, and, and he's been dinged up a little bit in those years where where they overworked him when Mark Ingram was suspended for four games. And I'm trying to remember the other reason he had to play a lot the first four games if Ingram was injured or something. But um, they don't they don't want to do that with with Kamara. They don't want 27 touches a game. And Taysom Hill is is a big part of the run game. I mean, I've been screaming to the rooftops for years. I hate it when people are like, why are you taking Drew Brees out for Taysom Hill? I'm like, Taysom Hill is a run play. And he averages five and a half yards per run in his career. It's a very effective run game. I liked the way 
they used him. And, and, you know, oh, by the way, he can throw a pass every once in a while. He's good at that too. It just makes it such a great package for them. And I expect to see a lot of it this year for, for sure. And I'm not surprised that this was his attitude. I know he was obviously crushed. What an opportunity he had to, to be Drew Brees' successor, but I, he got a fair chance at it. Um, he had to understand that Jameis Winston did beat him out this summer. And, and I would have been surprised if we got anything else other than I'm disappointed, but I'm all in to help the team win. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's unquestionable that, uh, you know, some fans don't really think this and I'll probably get backlash, but again, Jameis Winston clearly beat him out. Jameis Winston deserves to be the quarterback right now. And going forward, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I want to talk about the defense real quick. Um, you know, last week, all the injuries, I mean, half the defense was missing last week. These guys, you, you know, they come back. The secondary looks outstanding. Paulson Adebo has been quite a surprise. I don't think anyone thought that he would have this much effect early on. Zach Bond played, played much better as a lot in the linebacking core yesterday. Um, and the defensive front, no matter who you take off of there, what suspensions you have, someone shows up. And I don't even know how to pronounce Capasignon's name, but he was outstanding yesterday. And I've just I, Dennis Allen might might be one of the most unsung coaches in the NFL. Well, first of all, you were really close. It's Passignon. You just take the K Passignon. out. There you go. That's the, the you know the French uh, accent on it. <laughs> um, Dennis Allen, outstanding. Ryan Nielsen, outstanding. I don't know if you have a lot of LSU fans listening to this, so we won't dwell on what they missed out on with Ryan Nielsen. Um, <laughs> but you're, I mean, uh, the the players they lost from that front seven Malcolm Brown Sheldon Rankins they're missing David Odiamata uh Trey Hendrickson and they're like, like nope we're just as dominant uh just Marcus Davenport yeah maybe the biggest surprise of the season so far so uh um you know it gives you hope for when they get some when, when they get Davenport and Odiamata back later um Wow, what a, what a front seven they've got there. Uh, and and it's going to have to be the strength of their team. But what has really impressed me is how much ownership they've taken of it. You know, the light bulb went on on all of our heads when we heard the way that Malcolm Jenkins and Mario Davis were talking about this summer. And yeah. we were like, are you best defense you've ever been a part of? Are you just, is this just bravado? And, and Davis said, look, when I showed up here, it was, you know, get the ball back to the offense, make a couple stops. Now it's, be the best defense in the league and we're the identity of the team. And they are taking that to heart. They really are trip. And I, you know, I'm just, I, it goes to show to me, it, it is proof. People don't talk about it, And coaches get too much credit when they win and not, and they get too much blame when they lose. We've heard that old cliche before, but this coaching staff that, I mean, Sean Payton finally realized about six years ago, Hey, we really need to do something with this defense. And bringing Dennis Allen in, and I'm just the entire staff. I mean, this might. Do you think this is the best coaching staff in the NFL? I mean, you could certainly make a case for that. I mean, I, I, obviously, the Patriots and the Chiefs and and other teams that have been really established for a long time are in that conversation. But uh, with what this defense has been doing as the complement to Sean Payton for the last four plus years now, uh, I think there's a really strong case to be made for that. Okay, before I let you go, I know what you think. I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. Are the Saints going to the playoffs? Yeah, I do think so. If anything, my confidence is maybe a tiny bit less now than it was 
in August um, because I'm still a little shell-shocked by how bad they looked in that week two game. Uh, but and, and then Armstead, man, he's one of the three or four best players on the team. He might be the best player on the team. Um, when are these – when are they going to stop taking these hits because they've never been thinner and they cannot afford to keep taking these hits. So I don't think it's a sure thing, but if they are four and one or three and two, and then they start getting reinforcements back and they stop losing a starter every week, um, then, then, you know, you talk to me in four weeks or five weeks from now, I might feel really, really good about them going to the playoffs. Mike triplet of ESPN here with us. And, uh, before I let you go, I do uh, want to talk. About, we we touched on it real quick, but Kamara, how how do you think he's feeling? I mean, twenty seven touches. We touched on it, but where does he go from here? He has been. I wouldn't call him outstanding, but he has been kind of what you would expect from Kamara. And um, Tony Jones uh, talked about the whole running back situation. Tony Jones has been good enough, and I think as yeah. he goes along, he's going to get more touches and be a bigger part of this this running game. Yeah, and look, they're going to have to monitor Kamara closely. They're going to have to back off at some point. But other running backs do touch the ball this much. It's not like he's incapable of it. Um, and there is no question, if you look at this offense and you're saying, what do we got? You, you've got one super-duper star who is as talented as any player in the league. And if you're not maximizing his talents, you're not giving yourself the best chance to win. So that is a tough tightrope that the Saints are going to have to walk. And hopefully there will be some games where they can back off of him a little bit. Um, but they're working with what they got, and 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 he's special. You remember what your family looks like? Yeah, no, I have gotten to see him a few times. I have gotten to see him a few times. It's just in and out. Uh, we also had a, a work trip that we had to take, or a family trip that we had to take aside yesterday. I took six flights in six days last week. Jeez. <laughs> have, you, have you been able to watch the Hawkeyes? Man, now you're buttering me up. <laughs> I love it. They, they, now they had their blip on the radar this week, but uh, um, they, uh, they survived it. Uh, uh, yeah, they're doing better than the Cubs. You know, you can't have all nice things in the same year, I guess. I'm not just saying this, and I'm really not saying this to butter you up, but the Iowa Hawkeyes are my sleeper pick to make it to the college football playoff. I, I think they're, they're, I think they're that good. I mean, I really do. I love that defense and, uh, they have been outstanding so far. They're obviously, you talk about well-coached, they're obviously very well-coached. And uh, I think it could be, I mean, if they're going to be, Iowa and Michigan, that's going to be, when do they play? Well, Iowa plays Penn State here real soon. Okay. Uh, and I think they're like number five and number six in the country. But Iowa's formula is very similar to what we talked about with the Saints, the quarterback being the biggest question mark. But if you can win games with defense, run games, solid fundamentals, and coaching, that, that's what they're going to try to do. That, that's the winning formula, right? Sure. All right, I was well, just telling Jay that uh, when you play that kind of football, it helps. The, the best Iowa football team they ever had, Nate Keating, was their kicker. Uh, when, when you have like the, you know, a Pro Bowl NFL kicker on your team uh, in college, it really helps. <laughs> I don't know if they have that this year. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen over the last week of the baseball season, but this baseball season cannot end soon enough, my friend. At least, hey. For multiple I, ways. The approach from the Cubs, don't be in between. I was talking to someone about the Falcons. I worry that the, you know, the Falcons are in between. 
either rip the Band-Aid off or, or don't. Uh, I'd still hope they re-sign Javi Baez in, uh, in, in the offseason, though, because whether you're good or bad, you know, he gives you a reason to tune in every day. <laughs> I, think one, I think one of the four is coming back. Um, I would wish it would be Bryant, but I don't think he wants to come back, so it's, I don't think it's going to be him, but uh, I don't know. I want, I, because I'm telling you, it could be May and they could be playing the Royals, and I will sit there in my living room for three hours and watch the game just because Javi's playing like – uh um that might not be wise true baseball uh i might not be looking at war ratings when i base my decision on that <laughs> <laughs> but i love watching it man i'd want rizzo back too but boy they have a first baseman it seems like oh uh, yeah <laughs> i know and, and i got so many 44 jerseys i don't know what i'm gonna do with them <laughs> well i will say this um you know it's been a fun ride i'm trying to derail that trip wrecked uh from going back to back we don't we don't want that i gotta go win number six. Oh man <laughs> we'll end the show on that. Uh, we'll end the interview on that. What's that? Thanks, man. I said I thought we moved past that. At the <laughs> you know I had to wish, stick that I'd in at the end. I wish you good luck, but I wouldn't need Exactly. Mike Triplett of ESPN <laughs> joining the Datitude Podcast. Trip, I really appreciate it, and I hope we talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. Talk to you later. You know I wasn't going to let that go, right? I mean, you know. When you got a guy like that on the ropes defending champs, you don't want to go. You don't want to go in your fantasy league, do you? I mean, you know you don't. So any chance you get to give a little grief, you do it. Well, let's get into the four for four segment. Um, you know, we had a mixed bag this week. Uh, it was... We're going to, the four for four segment is kind of what I was doing with the four minute review. I just call it renamed it four for four. We talk about four games I picked last week instead of going through my whole list. And I explained what I was thinking last week, nine and seven against the spread, which takes me to 24, 22 and two on the season, including uh, three and zero oh in the Saints picks. Yeah, it's, it's a little better than mediocre, but we haven't increased our win total by one each week. We're going to try to do it again. We went seven in week one. We had seven wins, eight in week two, nine this week. So we're going to shoot for 10 this week. And my NFL picks co- column comes out every Wednesday. You can catch it on bet.nola.com. And with that, let's get started. Cue the music. It's not very loud, but you can hear it in the background. You know what I'm talking about. Seattle. Let's start. Let's get into it. Start with the bad. I loved Seattle this week. Minus one over Minnesota. What was I thinking? What I was thinking was I didn't realize the betting public was all with me. Um, and when the betting public is on your side, that's not a good thing. So the, the, two, one, the two games that I'm going to talk about I lost, two of the seven that I lost, the betting public was all over the same team that I was on. I think it was something like 72% had Seattle. And I really thought with their schedule coming up, we've talked about it. They've got a brutal four-week stretch coming up, including games against San Francisco and the Rams. And I just thought they were going to be pumped up and ready for this one. Minnesota obviously played like a desperate team. They were very good. Vikings win it, and actually they won it fairly easily. Next game, we'll talk about two bad and two good. Another bad one, Las Vegas minus three and a half over Miami. Oh, that darn hook. You know, I, eight times out of ten, when I'm playing a, three, a game that's three and a half, I buy the hook. I didn't in this one. 
Again, another game that the betting public was all over the Raiders. I should have known better. Miami, it just it was too good to be true, right? Jacoby Brissett, they can't run the football. Jacoby Brissett can't really throw the football that well. But guess what? He certainly made every single play he had to make on Sunday. Get that game in overtime. I'm not so sure if I was if I were the Dolphins there at the end, I wouldn't have been going for the win. But they didn't. They lose to Vegas. Vegas remains undefeated. And guess who's in last place in the AFC West? For the first time since 2015, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. But we'll talk about that in another show because this is not going to be the Chiefs' year. As I, we learned, they either have signed or are about to sign Josh Gordon. What a train wreck. Why would you do that? Let's talk about the good. Green Bay, plus three over San Francisco. You know, this one to me... Still, the Packers, I think they're now starting to get, people are starting to realize, the week one overreactions, let's get them out of our system, okay? We know they played bad. Does Aaron Rodgers care? Well, if you haven't watched the last two games, then maybe you don't know the answer to that. If you have watched them, then you do know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that, that one, to me, obviously let San Francisco back in the game. Nice job, Jimmy G, who I think is not very good. And Trey Lance will be the quarterback soon, but he did well enough. Green Bay covers easily. I had Green Bay and the money line in that one. Rams, plus one over Tampa Bay. You know, here's one the opposite of Seattle and Vegas. The betting public was all over Tampa Bay, not looking at who they played in their first game and the situation. Tampa Bay is not the best team in football. I don't care what anyone says. The Rams in my opinion, certainly are. And they played like it. Plus one over Tampa Bay. Getting a point at home, that, this line, the big money was on the Rams here because the money changed there at the very end. Um, it went from plus one and a half Rams to pick it about 10 a.m. on Sunday. And, uh, you know, I didn't get that. So, uh, you know, Matt Stafford with this Rams team, completely different team. And Tom Brady, uh, you got to love him at 44, year old, 44 years old, playing like he's playing. As we're going to run over four minutes here in just a minute. So, but we're getting there. We're, we're, figure, we're finally figuring out this four-minute thing here. But um, when the betting public is on Tampa Bay like they were, it was almost 80% of the money. I believe. No, 80% of the tickets. I'm sorry. Almost 80% of the tickets on Tampa Bay. That's insane. So I want to, and just a little laying out for you, a couple of the winners that I really were, was proud about. Chargers plus six and a half. You know, I almost did take the money line in this. But betting public all over KC, the lines makers, they're still giving the Chiefs too much credit. The Chiefs are something like two out of their last 15 going back to last season against the spread. Stop picking Kansas City, everybody. Until they adjust these lines, stop picking Kansas City. I love Patrick Mahomes too, but stop it. Buffalo, minus 8.5 over Washington. You know, the Bills go on an ATS roll like they did last year. You know, that first game, again, they got one out of their system. They stunk it up against Pittsburgh, especially in that second half, but they have been phenomenal in their last two games. I might start rolling with the Bills until that train ends. And on the opposite side is Lanyap. Let me say, I may never pick the Jets and or the Jaguars against the spread ever 
again. What am I thinking? I don't think I was thinking. But we live and learn, right? That is the four for four segment. And, uh, you know, it was a mixed bag. So we're happy. We're happy overall. When you go over 500 against the spread, you had a good week. So let's shift focus a little bit. We talked, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Saints with our next guest. Um, And we do talk about the Saints for the first, I'd say, first 10 to 15 minutes of this half hour interview coming up with David Grubb of 103.7 The Game and the Bird's Nest podcast. But we also talk about the Pels and we talk about the Zion Williamson injury that came out yesterday. And it just, what is going on with David Griffin? It, it, is Zion just, what, what's going on with Zion? What's going on with David Griffin? If you haven't read it yet, go check out the article written by uh, our own Christian Clark of the advocate, TomSpeakUnionNola.com, about Zion's relationship with Griffin, or lack thereof. It's very interesting. It's an excellent read, and some of the detail that Christian got, and I'm going to have to have him on, on the podcast here soon. But incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, David and I talk about that. Again, Pell's opening training camp and their preseason begins next Monday, I believe, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So let's not waste any more time, and we could talk about it with David. Again, first we talk about the Saints and his take on what's going on, and then we will follow with the Pelicans. And after that, we'll uh, get into the Let's, Let's Personal, new Let's Personal segment and wrap up the show. Here is David Grubb. Here on the Dat Line, the guest line on a Tuesday, recording it on a Monday morning, but uh, it's all the same thing. I think we're going to feel the same way that we feel right now as we do on Tuesday morning. David Grubb, host of Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game in Lafayette. Show is on Monday through Fridays from 4 to 6 p.m., also the host or one of the hosts of the Bird Calls podcast. And, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Glad uh, to be here, Jim. Well, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's jump right into the Saints. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to get your impressions of, of what we saw yesterday. It, obviously not quite as dominating as the Green Bay game, but certainly a whole heck of a lot better than what we saw in week two. Um, I thought the game plan was outstanding, and so was the defense. It was just incredible. But uh, just overall, what you saw yesterday. Yeah, the main things that uh, I talked about last week with the Saints going into this game were exactly what they did with the game plan. Um, I think we saw in week one that this team is needs to have drives. Um, and we saw that against New England. They were able to string together long drives offensively, even when they didn't end up in points, obviously, with the missed field goals. But – they were able to keep their defense, the Saints defense, fresh while the offense did what it needed to do. Um, I think there still needs to be some opening up of the offensive playbook, getting finding ways to get guys involved. But I think that's also dependent on that line getting healthy. But we knew coming into the season that this defense was going to be the strength of this team from the outset. And even with the injuries, it has been. Um, I think we're really surprised in a pleasant way about how the, the, the secondary has performed, uh, particularly the corners. Um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson showed again yesterday why he's um, maybe underrated as, as a defensive back and all the things that he can do. Uh, and then ultimately, I think we're starting to see it 
it's going to be a process. I mean, I think people forget that year one, year two of Drew Brees, there was still some evolution for him too. And Jameis is coming in at around that same time in his career with probably worse teaching before he got there. But I think we're starting to see some maturity out of Jameis Winston. Um, not as many bad decisions, and he's not fumbling the ball. So, I mean, overall yesterday I was really um, satisfied with the way that the Saints played. I thought that they did enough to, to win. And for them to be 2-1 and one at this point, I think any Saints fan has to be happy um, considering what we thought could the start could be um, with all the injuries starting to hit during camp. Yeah, I think when you looked at the schedule before the season started, if you would have said you were starting against Green Bay, Carolina, and New England, you were certainly taken two and one. You probably wouldn't expected the one loss to come from Carolina if you said you're going to be two and one. But it really, in the in the long in the in the long road, it really doesn't matter how you got there as long as you get to where you want to go. Exactly. You know, it's like Bill Parcells used to say, "Your record is what you what you are." Right. And the Saints are two and one, and as they said yesterday, if you're two and one, 75% of the teams that have been two and one through three games since the playoffs expanded have gotten in. So that's a good start. That's where this team needs to be. And I think we both would say that probably around week eight, week nine, when this group really starts to get healthy, hopefully, that's that those last eight, nine weeks of the season is where we'll really see what this team is about. You know, David, as impressive as the defense was, and I thought it was, you know, Obviously, I think Green Bay might have been one of the best performances they've had in the Sean Payton era. But I thought this defensive performance was probably up there in the top nine or ten. But I want to talk about the offensive line because, you know, without Eric McCoy and then Teron Armstead goes out and some dude named Throckmorton is in there playing and playing injured and playing well. I mean, after last week's dud, you have to be really impressed with this kind of makeshift O-line was able to put together? Yeah, particularly in the running game, because we saw last week against the Panthers, and they're really good front four, that the Saints couldn't get anything going with the running game. Uh, and this week they were really able to, especially early, and I thought that was a key, that they were physical from the outset. Um, and I thought Sean Payton did a great job of mixing up the play calls to get touches to Alvin Kamara in different places, to get him good running lanes. Um, yeah, so... And they didn't give up a bunch of sacks. I mean, some of them, yeah, you know, the, the, the receivers couldn't get open. They were t- felt like time sacks. But um, as far as just that instant pressure that Carolina gave last week, where it was like two, 2.3 seconds every time Carolina got off the ball, this time they were slowed down. And, and, and that's as long as, you know, like you said, missing Eric McCoy, who's a huge part of this, not having Teron Armstead, who's a huge part of this line. It's just for them to be able to make it through and not allow Jameis to get beat up, to not allow a bunch of negative plays, I thought they played very admirable. Yeah, I'm a little biased, but I think Teron Armstead's the best left tackle in football. But so to be – can't stay healthy. I, I, exactly. And, and if, if – when he's in there, um, and you, but you have to plan that he's not going to be in there for 16 games or 17 games or whatever it is, and you have to plan that he's going to go out at different times. So we'll have to – wait and see what his injury uh, status is later on in the week. But uh, David, I do, before we get to, um, before we get to the, the Pelicans, I do want to talk a little bit. I know you and I, I think sort of disagreed a little bit on Jameis Winston. So I, I do want to bring him up real quick. Um, yesterday to me was kind of a perfect example of, of what we're going to say. Now, before I say anything else, there is zero question. And I mean, zero question that Jameis Winston is the best quarterback on this roster. So, He's what we got. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not saying they should make a change or anything like that. But 
it scares the death out of me uh, uh, as this team goes forward and the way they they played on defense. If they continue to play this way on defense, if the O line continues to play that it, the way that it has in two of the three games at least, and then you throw it to me yesterday. I know that they won and they everything looked rosy, but to me, that throw he made in the end zone that Callaway grabbed out of the air like a miracle from God. I mean, it's kind of a perfect example of what we're going to have to dodge going forward. But I think you could say that yesterday. Um, and look, I think we have to be fair. I think we're looking at Jameis through the eyes of what he's already done. And, and I that understand is true. that. That and and that's that's impossible not to do because we all watched it. Um, and, and believe me, look, going back to Florida State, I was not and I, I'm still not. I'm not a person who thinks that Jameis Winston is close to being a perfect quarterback. Um, I think he's he's better than people have given him credit for. Uh, I also I agree with that. But, yes. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that's a hard prism to be viewed through. And especially when you're the guy who follows Drew Brees, you know what I mean? And and typically when the guy who follows a legend there are very few times where you've had a high expectation level. Remember, it's Jay Fiedler came behind Dan Marino. You yeah. weren't expecting Jay Fiedler to be Dan Marino. But Jameis Winston comes in as a Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick, 5,000-yard season. And so there are certain things that we have, but I think it's going to take time. Last year, he essentially didn't play. And I would say that, you know, even being on the team, you know how it is. Drew Brees took 90% of the practice snaps. Um, there wasn't the time with the offseason and things to get adjusted. Uh, I think Sean Payton probably made a uh, would probably if he went back in, uh, to the recent past would probably have named Jameis starter from week from day one so he could have gotten more reps and they could have figured out what the plays are that work for him until we see this whole thing complete. I just would like to see that first the line healthy Michael Thomas back on the field. Um, you remember don't have much experience at the tight end spot right now, which is usually your quarterback's best friend. I want to see all of it before I fully evaluate. Do I, am I happy with what James is doing right now? I'm okay with it, but I'm not, aesthetic, but I'm also, I'm not ready to, to say that, you know, I just thought after week one, when people were saying maybe it's time to open up the quarterbacks uh, competition again, I said, that's very premature. This is a one-year contract. James get paid what? $5 million. If right. it doesn't work, we'll all move on. We'll all move on, um, I, but it'll be easy to see. I agree with that aspect of it, that, that would be silly to open up a quarterback. You can't have a quarterback competition in, in the regular season. You can't. You you make up your mind, you go with it, and if it gets really bad, then you make a change if you have to. But you can't have a quarterback competition in the middle of an NFL season. And uh, but what I, you know, you bring up the point of if Sean Payton could go back in time. Well, if Sean Payton could go back and maybe leave a, a little bit further time, do you think maybe we do more to keep Teddy Bridgewater? Maybe. I mean, Teddy, to me, would fit this offense to an absolute T. And he just, you know, what this offense needs to me is a guy that doesn't make mistakes. I mean, that's if you had a guy that didn't make mistakes, I think this is a Super Bowl caliber type team. I don't necessarily think it is with the gambler back there. Like I said, I I just want to, I'll give it the wait and see. I don't want to condemn him or, or decide who he is after three weeks. That's fair. I, I would like to see what we get when we get Michael Thomas. But at the end of the year, if he hasn't lived up to perfection, up, up to expectation or performed at the level that he should, this, I believe this is a, a double-digit win team. You know, I think this is a team that could win 10 games this year. Um, if they don't, I don't have a problem with them not bringing Jameis back. I'm not going to be out in the street defending him if he, if he doesn't do the job. 
but I just want to see him given the opportunity like you would with any starter. And you, if you that is in him, give him the opportunity to prove that he either is or is not the guy. That is very fair. David Grubb, host of Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game in Lafayette and host of the Bird Calls podcast here on the Datitude podcast. I'm Jim Derry, and uh, we're going to start talking about the Pelicans a little bit. We are ready to open training camp. David, I go through this every year in my head. It is so hard to believe that we – it seems like the season just ended. I know we say that about a lot of sports, except football, because football can't start soon enough. But I, I'm a huge baseball fan. I know you are as well. It, and I say mm-hmm. that, while wow, baseball's starting up already. And But to me, basketball, there is so little space between the NBA finals, and especially this year because the schedule was moved back, so the finals were later than usual. But to, to be starting already, doesn't it seem like we just finished? Yeah, we really just did. And, and <laughs> remember, there's only, there's only six or seven real days of training camp. Right. And, and then you get into preseason games, and then we'll be in the regular season so quickly. Um, I just I don't know if we've done enough for all and understanding what the impact on athletes across all these sports, because we've seen so many more injuries in the NFL at the early start of this season. 100%. Last season, we saw so many injuries in the NBA. And I'm not talking about um, ACL tears. I'm talking about those nagging usage injuries that come from not getting enough rest uh, between games or between, um, you know, exertion. And uh, I I just, I worry about that with the NBA because again, you only get a roster of 12 to 15 guys. And I think you and I would say six or seven of those 15 on the Pelicans probably shouldn't be seeing the court. So if you get deep into injuries, (laughs) that's where you, you get exposed. That leads into where I'm going next. And I agree wholeheartedly. And one of them we know, isn't going to see the court in training camp or preseason because the word that came down today, Zion Williamson, underwent surgery for a broken foot in the offseason. We didn't know about that. David Griffin, he should be fine for the regular season, they say. I read in Andrew Lopez's story this morning. What the heck? <laughs> I mean, what the heck? I have, I have a hard time believing that he'll be ready for the first game of the season because if what he broke is his right, um, is that fifth metacarpal? Right. Then we're talking about, an injury that does take a while to heal. They talk about typically that's a four to six uh, month fully healed process. Um, and Zion is a guy who puts a lot of impact on his feet. And we saw how they really babied him with the knee injury, which led to some of this um, static between he and the front office in the first place. I'm sure he wants to play. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, sure he does. But, but, but we've heard Griffin tell us this before, right? We've heard him say when people were going to be back from injuries, and then they don't show up, and we have to keep kicking that can down the road to find out when they're actually going to be available. If Zion Williamson doesn't start the season on the court or if he's under a minutes restriction for like the first month, the Pelicans can't afford to get off to another bad start. That's what they've done each of the last uh, three years, and we've seen where it comes from. And over that, this team's history, if they don't have a winning record after 10 games, the, the, the franchise history has shown they don't make the playoffs. So they better come out of the gate strong. I feel like I'm listening to the song walking on broken glass over and over in my head with Zion. I mean, I love this kid. I mean, he's got the personality, the pizzazz, the flair, everything you want. I mean, all kinds of things that Anthony Davis didn't have. And the kid can't stay on the court. And you know he's frustrated, too, because nobody wants to play more than Zion Williamson. Absolutely. I mean, I, and you, you start to wonder because feet, knees, 
you know, ankles, hips, head, shoulders, injuries. knees, and toes. You know how it is when you talk about <laughs> basketball players, and you and I, our memories go back long enough to remember what it was like to watch a Bill Walton. Yeah, I saw the end of his career, but I—I I mean, the last you know four or five years of his career. But I—I I remember the man um, can barely man walk today. His, right, he had to have his ankles fused because they couldn't bend. And, you know, things like that. When guys' feet and Andrew Tony or whomever, they're just so many players that we've seen. If their feet, their ankles, and their knees start going, they never get right. And when you have a guy who puts as much pounding on his body as Zion will over the course of his career that's when you have to start to wonder is what is the expiration date for him? Because what we've seen a lot of times, the supremely athletic players tend to have a shorter shelf life than the guys who are, who have to figure out other ways to do things. And, and so that's, that's what I wonder about is like a lot of these physical freaks, you get about eight, 10 years out of really excellent performance. And then once the body changes, their games don't always adapt. David, maybe they just need to do what Chuck Barkley used to do. He would just go and eat. I mean, he, he ate whatever he wanted, the round mound or rebound, and he, I don't think he got hurt all that much. I mean, he, you yeah, know. one year, that year with the Rockets. Remember that last yeah, year with the yeah, Rockets? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Got, he hurt his knee. But he yeah, was an old man that, by then. Charles was there. Yeah. So maybe they just, Charles maybe Zion needs to go eat burgers and stuff like that, you know? Burgers yeah, and pizza. Stop telling him about his weight and just let him play. Let him do whatever he wants. I mean, the kid can play basketball, and he did it. He's done it his entire life. I mean, he's only 21 years old, but so what? Um, anyway, that, that, that scares me. But, you know, likely won't play in the preseason. But you look at what he's been able to do, and it scares me that he's getting frustrated already, obviously, with this group. And maybe he's thinking, are they babying me too much? I mean, you have to wonder what he's thinking and how that's going to go going forward. We don't want another Anthony Davis who wants out as soon as he can get out. Or Chris Paul. I, I think a lot of, yeah. I, I, you look at those two situations of Chris. I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I don't think anybody in hindsight can blame Chris. When you have a team that was under George Shin, who had no desire to spend any money, right. couldn't sell the team. And then it went into NBA receivership. Um, yeah. I would have wanted out too. And remember they had gotten rid of David West. They tried to get rid of Tyson Chandler. They had done all these things to kind of irk Chris. Um, but with, with, Anthony, it was a hero miscast because he was never a lead guy and he's not a lead guy in L.A. And, and I think we all took too long to see that in a lot of ways. Um, he wasn't built to carry a franchise on his shoulders. I think Zion wants to. I think no he question. wants that responsibility. You see that in the way he handles himself is that he wants everything to be winning and losing. He wants it to be his, you know, to take the the credit for the losses, you know, deal with that. And then for the winning, he wants to be a vital part of helping the team win. Um, but I don't know if you can trust David Griffin. Like, that's the thing. With <laughs> I me. agree. Like, if you don't have, if you can't trust the front office and look, we're going into year three of this. And I asked Griffin directly about that today, about his um, trustworthiness and how he's viewed. And he says, it doesn't matter, but you brought, you, you kept Alvin Gentry when everybody said, let Alvin go. You kept him. You fired him after year one. You, kept, you, you hired Stan Van Gundy when everybody said Stan Van Gundy's not going to fit. You said you knew what you were doing. You go through that. You won one more game than you did the year before. You fired Stan a month, almost a month after you said he did a great job. Then you bring in Willie. And now we're going to see three years, three different coaches, three huge dramatic shifts in the way that this team is built. And you're asking this team that's still probably one of three or four youngest in the league to everybody make a jump under a rookie head coach in year three of Zion Williamson 
and he's coming out of the gate hurt. That doesn't sound like a recipe for a playoff team to me. You know, and, and you bring in – look, I think Willie Green is going to be a great coach. So I'm, I'm really excited. This, this is the first time I've been excited about a coach for the Pels since, wait a minute, wait for it, Monty Williams. Oh, wait, we already had a coach. I mean, we had a great coach here. I mean, it, it, this whole organization has been such a mess for so long. And I love the Bensons, and I love what they've done for New Orleans. But to me, the biggest mistake this franchise has made, at least in the past decade, was letting Monty Williams go. I think they, I'll say this. You knew Monty was gone no matter what when they said if it was either make the playoffs or go home. Yeah, and well, don't say that. I, I think, yeah, organizations don't do that. You don't do that. If, you're, if I'm going to keep you, there's no condition that's going to make me fire you. And if I'm going to fire you, there's nothing you can do to make me keep you. So if I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm publicly blowing smoke. And that's what they did with him. And I think what people forget, too, is a lot of what caused, caused Monty Williams was Anthony Davis. Anthony yes. Davis, his dad did not want – Monty wanted AD to play center. And AD still, to this day, don't want to play center. And his daddy didn't want him to play center. And they had a lot of problems with Monty. And the people who were there – and I I, maybe you heard about it, too, but I know people who've seen it and heard it. There was a time when AD kind of physically went, AD's dad went after mine mm-hmm. down in the bowels of the stadium at one time. So, I mean, a lot of stuff, again, it just tells you a lot about this franchise that you would allow stuff like that to get to that point. I didn't want to hear Griffin talking about why the Kings haven't made the 15 years today. I didn't want to hear Griffin talking about why, well, the Suns missed out on a decade and then they made the finals. But what the details you're leaving out there is they went through a lot of fired coaches, they went through a lot of fired executives to get to that point. And David Griffin, if you want to be one of the toadstools on that stop, that's fine. If you want to be one of the guys who gets fired on the way to the Pelicans being good, that's fine. But you can't use other people's failures as a prediction for your own success. I don't get that. Isn't it kind of scary? Because when he first came in, I mean, there was such high hopes for, for David Griffin. And, and look, I'm not writing him off yet, okay? Uh, but we're, we're getting close. And when he came in, from the Cavaliers, I'm thinking this is just reading everything and looking at his background and just just the feel that I got and the, and the feel that I usually when I get a feel like it, it's it's going to be right. Stan Van Gundy was never a good fit for this team. I never liked Alvin Gentry for this team. But when you talk about and I'm not going to go into the past GM because then I'll go on a rant for a while. But I didn't you just get the sense that this was the right guy for the job when he came in? I did not. I you was didn't. not a really? David Griffin believer. No, I was behind Troy Weaver. That was my guy, um, who's now in charge of Pistons. But you were um, right. I was. So I was really big on Troy Weaver. My problem with Griffin and his record was that it felt artificially made. Um, Cleveland, he he didn't have success until LeBron decided to come back, and that was an independent decision by, made by LeBron, CEO and GM of LeBron Incorporated. And then it was when you when Griffin started talking about how disheartening and how sad he felt when they won the championship because it wasn't done this organic, sustainable way. I don't want my executives talking like that. You would you trade everything for one championship? If the Saints were dysfunctional for 20 more years, if you could get a Super Bowl this year, you take it no matter how it came. You, you're you asking you're asking this to a Cubs fan. I I, I right. did. I got my I got my one. I don't care what happens now. 
they they, right. they, they stink again. So what? Years. And but you got that one in your lifetime. You know what I'm saying? I grew up one. a Knicks fan. I have not seen the Knicks. You know, I've seen them get to the finals twice, but I haven't seen anything. I grew up. I was born in Detroit. I rooted for the Lions. Imagine what that's like. Oh, one playoff win in, oh. in my entire life. Oh, you're not feeling good today. Yes, you know, so, I mean, look, and then I, my family moves to New Orleans in 79 and 80, the Saints go one in 15 and we yeah. got season tickets. So, I mean, I've lived through these things. So to me, yeah, I, I just, it's losing to me is never something that I think is a process. When people say you have to lose to win, I don't understand that because we see teams all the time and say, we're not going to lose. And then all of a sudden they turn it around. It's the organization. It's the players you select. You can turn things around quickly. Remember the year before Sean Payton got here, the Saints 3-13. and 13. Yep. 10 and 6 his first year. You can turn things around quickly if you have the right people in place. So if the Pelicans don't get to 500 this year, then yeah, what, what has David Griffin then, who was basically born on third base, you know what I'm saying? We talk uh, about- and look, and the bad thing is if you if you have to if you do have to get rid of David Griffin, if they have a really bad year and you have to get rid of David Griffin, then you're gonna have a new GM coming over with and he's gonna have to keep Willie Green because you gotta give him a chance. You can't just let him go after a year. So you, then you have the new, new deal. <laughs> well, that's true too, but you get a, a new GM coming in with a coach that he may or may not want, and it's you kind of start this whole process all over again. And that's the sad thing, unless they keep like and there's a lot of people who I know who would say they'd like to see Trajan elevated to that position because they think there's some internal conflict between the way Griff sees things and the way Trajan sees things. I don't know if that's true. I can't say 100% because we don't really hear from Trajan one-on-one a lot. Um, but I think Griffin is, if anybody is in a, on a hot seat, he has to be on one because he was brought in to bring those two things, stability and credibility to this franchise. When it was a laughing stock and people said they don't care about the Pelicans in New Orleans, that Gail Benson doesn't care about this team. Well, you invested all this money. You got the number one pick. You traded your number one asset and got a bunch in return. You traded your number two asset, got less in return than you probably should have. There have been these moves that you could question, even the Lonzo Ball deal. We could sit here and question the return that they got. And why, if you knew you were letting him go, you didn't trade him during the season 100%. to that same Bulls team for a better offer. 100%. So, it's like, the more I look at Griffin, I'm like, the stuff that he's gotten right, I'm, I'm not going to say he's drafted poorly. He's drafted fairly well from what we've seen. But at the same time, what you've created is a team full of kids. And in the NBA, you can't win with all kids. Look at the Bucks. You know what I mean? Look at the Bucks who just won the title. Yeah. That was a team – of experienced guys who were veterans. The only two guys who have been there a long time are Chris Middleton and Giannis. Yeah. You look at that, that Suns team. People say, well, look how they turned it around. But then you make a trade yeah, for Drew, that, and who, who obviously made a, played a key role in, in the finals. You know, Right. Veterans. They brought in vets. Correct. They brought in P.J. Tucker, a veteran, yes. you know, to come in. They did not have a ton of guys in their rotation in their top nine who were under four years in this league. You know, and that's – the Pelicans still have a ton of guys in their rotation. You're not counting on Garrett Temple to give you minutes. If Garrett <laughs> He's Temple's only 35 15, years old, man. Come on. <laughs> if Garrett Temple's playing 15 minutes a night on this team, you have a problem. You know what I mean? And so yeah. you still don't know who your starting point guard is. You still don't know who your starting two guard is. And I don't think you know who, I mean, you know, behind Zion, who's playing the power forward position? Because you've got Valanciunas, Zion, and Jackson Hayes. Who else is going to play that four? So I think there's still some holes in this roster. You better um, find out quick because we don't know when he's playing. 
Right. And I think this, I predicted 39 wins for this team. I don't even, there are people now telling me I was too ambitious, but I'm predicting 39 as of today. So you're thinking, so I was going to ask you, I was going to put you on the spot before I let you go. So that's what you think. You think that this is another sub 500 season and another April where the Pels, the home team is sitting at home. And they may get into the 10th spot. Um, you know, because 10 out of 15 make it in the West now. Uh, and there are some teams that are going to be bad. But I think a below 500 record would still be a failure for this team. Making the play in should not be the goal. Being a, a, in year three of having Zion Williamson, you should be talking about a six or seven seed, not a 10. And I, I think that's where this franchise still is in the mindset of this. Can we make the playoffs? That's not a winning mentality. I don't think Tom Thibodeau and I look. I, I was I, I thought the Knicks a lot of what they did last year was smoke and mirrors, but Tom Thibodeau didn't come in and say our goal is to make the playoffs. They ended up right. with the four seed. You know what I mean? So I want to know what this team's real tangible goals are. If it's just to make the playoffs, that is as low a bar as you possibly can set. It's not a bar that you ever want to set, really. But uh, it is what it is, and I think we are where we are. David Grubb, host of Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game in Lafayette on Mondays through Fridays from 4 to 6 p.m., and host of the Bird Calls po- podcast. Uh, tell me your Twitter ha- Twitter handle again so we can uh, follow you. I'm already following you, but so everybody else can follow you yes. as well. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, at DMGRUBB. Well, I, we certainly appreciate you for coming on to the Datitude podcast uh, in our young infancy here on, uh, on bet.nola.com as well. And, uh, David, we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And uh, tell my man, I know you talk to D squared a lot. I got to talk to him, but tell D squared. I say it was uh, absolutely well. He's coming on Friday and uh, he, he is, he is going to be a staple of the show because he's so fun. He not, he might not have the, the greatest way to pick NFL games, but you know what? He wins. <laughs> so if he likes the Jersey color and they win good for him. I love that guy. I can't say anything <laughs> negative about that dude. So All right, have well, a great time on Friday. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David Grubb. Thank you. Bye. Great interview. Uh, uh, Here on the dat line, the guest line. Sorry about that. I'm still learning how to produce and and talk at the same time. When I did a radio show back in the day, it was always, um, you know, I had a little help. Uh, I didn't have to click buttons and all that stuff. So I'm still learning as I go. But anyway, great interview with David Grubb. Um, Very candid. I loved some of the things he said, especially about the Pelicans. And I couldn't agree more with just about everything, really. And so we go into this preseason with the Pelicans, and there are so many questions. And if you are trying to Get yourself to the next level. I mean, even if you're just trying to get, you know, take a step. Take some kind of positive step and get yourself into like the six or seven seed and work from there. Make Zion Williamson want to stay here. Make the players that are here want to stay. I mean, Brandon Ingram signed. That's great. We lose Lonzo. Like you said, I don't know that we know who our guards are. I mean, we have young talent. We hope they develop, and we'll certainly get into that more on Friday when we talk to Andrew Lopez of ESPN, who's uh, as close to the Pelicans as anyone. Um, 
good another good friend and colleague. I, I have a lot of friends at ESPN. It just so happens to be that way. Um, guys I've worked with throughout the years and um, obviously very good at what they do. Let's get into the let's get personal segment. You know, everyone, if you're going to listen to this podcast on a regular basis and you don't know me, um, I call it datitude for a reason. But when, when you're at home, when I'm at home, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I spend, like a lot of you guys do, Saturdays not so much. Now, I'm working a lot on Saturdays, so I do watch more college football than I probably watched in the past. I used to spend Saturdays, um, you know, I'd watch LSU when they were on, but we'd go to a friend's house, maybe watch LSU, maybe we'd go to dinner. We'd, Saturday was kind of my family day. Well, it's kind of changing a little bit now that I have to work on Saturdays. We try to do stuff with the family, but it doesn't always work out that way. But um, Sunday is a day where I get up at 10 a.m. I start looking at you know my, my own NFL picks column to see which ones I still like. If the lines have changed, I may you know move on a little bit. Maybe I don't play certain things. Whatever, I start to get a feel. Look at my fantasy roster like most of you do. Um, and then I sit down and I watch football for – six hours straight and then I go play poker on Sunday nights I mean it's what I do 10 a.m to midnight on Sunday it's either watching football or some sort of gambling that's why I'm the sports betting writer I guess but when you live in a house with three females it's 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 not always easy they don't always get it right so this Sunday this past Sunday I saw one of the Greatest endings to a football game that I've ever seen. I mean, now, when they, when they happen, they're, they're always the greatest at that point in time, right? I mean, so, like, if you see something that's just something you may have never seen before, that may become the greatest, and then you move on, and three months later, well, it was great, but it wasn't the greatest. In, in this recent past, certainly of this season, of the, the Justin Tucker kick was the greatest moment in this young season to me a 66-yard field goal to win a football game. For those of you older than me, and remember the Tom Dempsey kick, some of you maybe may even have been there as a, you know, a kid or a teenager. I mean, it, unfortunately, it was so long ago now, I think we're talking about what we're getting on, getting up on 50 years ago. Not quite 50 years ago. I think it was 72, 72 or 73. The 63-yard field goal to beat the Lions of all teams. Um, and I remember reading about Alex Karras talking about how they, they started laughing when Dempsey came out to kick the field goal. And back in those days, the, the goalposts were up on the front of the end zone. So he was literally kicking the football from his own 37-yard line. And so, I mean, they laughed at whatever. And then it went through and, the kick, it's good, it's good, you know. But uh, this kick was different. And because 66 yards, I mean, that, that's insane. This isn't in Denver with a wind behind his back. This is in Fort, at Ford Field in a dome. So the Saints were done. This game is on the red zone, um, and I'm watching the end of it live. And it was insane. And before we get to my personal part of it, I want you to listen to this call, okay? The call from CBS – and Greg Gumbel, and I'm not sure who his broadcast partner is, 
But it it reminded me of the River City relay when the Saints um, had the great play and throwing laterals all all over, and Jerome Pathon scores on the lateral, the last lateral from Deuce, and it looks like the Saints going to tie the game against Jacksonville, and they missed the extra point. John Carney, I still haven't forgotten that. But um, listen to this reaction. I think we have one more after the CBS call. Um, but it's worth listening to before I get into my personal take. On its way. It bounces off the crossbar, and it's good! Oh, oh my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Oh, my... Did that just happen, Greg? seen anything like it I, I i'm speechless but what a kick it was barely long enough to get the bounce off the crossbar tucker it would be the longest in nfl history if it's good a 66 yard try tucker's kick is on the way it is good oh, crossbar and it tumbles through it is good time has expired justin tucker with the longest field goal in nfl history the hay is in the barn and it's mayhem on the field oh my god you've just seen just history lost my mind you have just oh seen and God. heard history as Justin Tucker, eight years after he hit a 61-yarder to win in Detroit, has silenced the crowd with the longest field goal in NFL history, 66 yards. Tucker's ready. There's the snap. Spot down. Kick on the way. It is up and it is off the crossbar and through oh my goodness are you kidding me justin tucker from 66 hit the crossbar and it bounced through and the ravens are celebrating on the field well obviously the last one was the lions broadcast team the middle one was the ravens broadcast team but Interestingly enough, I think Greg Gumbel is just one of the best in the business. Um, he's great at play-by-play. He's great as a host. And he was so shocked. I don't think he knew what to say. I think he had prepared himself to to say, okay, game's over. Lions upset the Ravens, whatever he was going to say. I, you know, For those of you who do know me, you know that I do play-by-play uh, for high school football games on Varsity Sports Now. I don't know that I would have known what to say. I would have gone insane, probably. They might have had to take me to the hospital. <laughs> but what? What? I just I thought those calls were interesting, and I and I definitely wanted to play them. Uh, I just I, you know, what do you say when stuff like that happens? But for me, watching at home, and I'm talking about what I would have said if I was doing play by play. I'm. I have two of my five knockout picks, and those of you who don't know what knockout pools are, you pick a team every week to win, 
if you if your team wins, you move on. If your team loses, you're out. Okay, and you try to be the last one standing. So in my knockout pool that I've been doing for over a decade now, there are 540 entries in there, and I have five of them. Okay, so I I think we're already out. I think 90 people are already out of this thing. So we're or almost 100. So we're 440 some odd entries are still left. I still have all five of mine, but I had two of my picks were the Ravens this week. So two of my five picks. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to lose these two. I was mad at myself because I had taken Carolina and I should have taken two Carolinas against the terrible Houston team um, instead of taking two Baltimores. Hindsight 2020. So when he kicks this kick and I'm like, I, I start like, oh my God. And my wife's outside in the backyard with my daughter, with one of my daughters. And I'm, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he makes it, and I'm not sure exactly what I said, but I was pretty loud. So he makes it, and I want to share the news with someone. So I go outside, and I'm going to tell my wife, Drea, you're not going to believe this. He just kicked a 66-yard field goal. Our knockout picks are saved. She goes, I know. The whole neighborhood heard you. Jesus Christ, who cares? I mean, that's what I, you know, can you guys... Can you feel me? Can you feel me? I mean, living in the house with three females, I am so undermanned and more, literally undermanned. This morning, you know, I'm not a morning person, but now that I've got this new gig, um, you know, it was when I'm covering prep, you know, I can get up at 10 or 11 or whatever. I can bring my daughter to the bus stop, come back, go back to sleep for a little bit, wake up 10 or 11 do what I need to do. A lot of times I'm covering games, whatever. So now, you know, I got to get up. When I get up to bring my daughter to the bus stop, I got to come back and work. And I'm having, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling with that. So this morning, for the third time this school year already, uh, my alarm's going off and I didn't hear it. And I'm, I'm usually a light sleeper, but I'm trying to get used to this new schedule. I don't hear it. I, the alarm's going off. Well, of course I wake up and it's, the bus has passed. Got to bring my daughter to school. Wife calls me because I'm bring her. I, I I get her there right when the when school's starting and she's marked as absent even though she's in class. And I get re- read the riot act. You know. So you guys are know know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I have a second mother, but I love her to death. She. She is an outstanding mother. So if she's listening to this, which she's probably not, but if she's listening to this, I love you, honey. I love you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting up a little bit early. I'm going to figure it out. Somebody give me some tips on how to wake up better in the morning. But uh, it, it's fun. It's fun on Sundays when I get to look every time I get loud. You know, because I'm – look, when I'm watching the Saints and I don't have to cover them anymore – I'm rooting for the Saints just like you are. So I can be – one thing about this job is I do, for the most part, you, you can't be a fan when you're covering the team. It's really hard, but you can't be a fan. And so at least now I, I can be a, a fan for the most part again. Last bit in the Let's Gets Personal segment. Love it. Good friend of mine. I talked about him the other day, Nick Mars. Big – San Francisco 49ers fans. I have this, this little text group with two other guys. Nick's one of them. And then I got a Bears fan, uh, my friend Dom Carollo. 
the we call him Nick and I call him the dumbest smart guy you'll ever meet. I call both of these guys free money because every time they bet me on anything, they're it's like taking money from from children. So I don't feel as bad when I take it from them because they both have more money than me. But anyway, so Nick goes to the San Francisco game and uh, his first ever 49ers game. He's got his gold starter jacket on. He's fired up. Now, I got Green Bay, the money line, and I got Green Bay against the spread. So am I supposed to root for my friend to be happy or am I supposed to root for my picks? So... He's knowing that I'm that I'm got Green Bay, so I'm just thinking that we're not going to chat much. He sent me a couple pictures. That's great. Ask me a couple questions because he couldn't see replays or whatever. Great. So, San Francisco scores the touchdown, takes the lead, and he sends a a text. That was fun. So guess what? A minute later, <laughs> I sent him back to a text. I said that was funner. I'm not going to tell you what his reply was. But everybody's got to have their little text groups on Sunday. It's fun. Uh, it's lighthearted. You know, two of us are from the West Bank originally. So, uh, you know, you know how West Bank goes if you're from New Orleans. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, we're going to try to get do this little let's get personal segment. I'll try to cut it down a little bit shorter. I know you don't want to hear about me all that much. But uh, I just think I love to share stories about – what it's like to live in a house with three females when you're trying to watch sports and they could care less. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It certainly is interesting, but they have all been very supportive. I love it. My wife, Drea, my daughters, Ella and Lucy, and my son Blair is now uh, out of the house, so that's what makes me even more outnumbered. He'll come over and watch games with me sometimes, but no, it's uh, it's – Maybe I should have called this show out number because that's certainly what I am. But uh, we had a long show today, but it was a really good one, I thought. I love the interviews with my two guests. I really thank Mike Triplett. Um, it, it was outstanding. David Grubb, just some great insight on the Pelicans. And uh, I can't wait to have both of those guys back on. Uh, don't forget our videos on bet.nola.com. Our odds and ends segment with... On Mondays with Zach Ewing, the sports betting director here at bet.nola.com, and myself, Fantasy Roundup, on Wednesdays with Zach and Spencer the Guru Urquhart, and at the book on Thursdays, featuring Cash In with Carville, James Carville, always an interesting take on the weekend coming up in sports, where he makes his pick and picks, and you can pick against him if you go on bet.nola.com. You can figure out how to do that and try to win some prizes. And uh, also, Zach, Devin Jackson, and myself, we talk about the weekend that is coming up. That is on Thursdays. If you want to be part of the show, once again, you can email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast, which comes out every Tuesday and every Friday um, on all of the major platforms and here on bet.nola.com. That's going to do it for episode two. Once again, on Friday, we'll have Andrew Lopez of ESPN to talk more about the Pelicans, and I'm sure we can pick his brain about the Saints for a second. And uh, also, we will have... Uh, I mean, you can't do a show without Dave DeCorbier, right? right? I mean, you, you just can't. I mean, Friday, D-squared. He actually did pretty well on his pick, so we're going to have him on again, and... Uh, 
He'll let us know who has the best uniform matchup of the week. We'll have all our usual segments. We'll preview the Saints. Home opener. That's right there. Home opener. Home in the dome against the New York Giants. Thank you, Mike Triplett. Thank you, David Grubb. I also thank my colleagues for allowing me to use bet.know.com as a platform for promoting this podcast. And I thank my wonderful brother-in-law, Phil Anselmo, and my sister-in-law, Kate Richardson, for our lead-in and his band down for the intro music. We will see you on Friday with Andrew Lopez and Dave DeCorbier. Stay out of the rain this week. Or if you're listening somewhere 100 or more miles north of us, then enjoy what fall is what's supposed to be like as we quietly remain super jealous. We'll see you Friday. Peace and love, my friends. Yeah,